0: What's up? So, uh, ooh, I got some bad news. Um, just about the audio quality of this episode. It's not really, it's barely up to the standard of where I'm comfortable with, with uploading it. But I talked about a lot of good stuff that I felt I wouldn't be able to really repeat, um, as well. And even though I say, you know, a lot, a lot in this episode, I don't know why, I don't normally say you know a lot, because I usually try to stop myself, like, consciously, I'm, every time I'm talking, I usually try to stop myself from saying that when I uh, go unscripted, and when I'm talking normally, I don't, but for some reason when I'm recording, I tend to do that a lot, for some odd reason, but anyway, um, cleaned it up as best as I could on Audacity, I, I recorded it at three different points in time uh, during my work. Working day, so you're gonna th- you're gonna hear three varieties of quality. <laughs> um, there wasn't really much to do at the at my job that day. Really light work, and I had enough time to just do whatever. So I thought I want to record. I want to get these thoughts out of my mind. So yeah, so I wanted to apologize about that, but I hope regardless that you enjoy the episode, and I had a lot of fun doing it. I look forward to continuing the series as we go on, and. Um, it's going to be a little awkward for me hearing it back because I go back and forth a lot, but that's just me. Anyway, enjoy the episode. We are the future, so listen close. Reality is a lot deeper than many realize, from ideas to creation to wonder. The AOK Podcast, to me, is a wonderland of possibilities. Around here, the subject is what we appreciate in our realities. So welcome. Join me and others as we voyage on adventures and discussions through pop culture with many thoughts and dreams and live them. Something is real to us the moment it affects us. As temporary as it may be, the mind and the heart can be a wonderful place to visit. Because once we escape, and once we return to where we left off before, the world is never the same. So now, how about we escape? So this episode is going to be an introductory to a new series that has been inspired by a number of different things. So while I'm still going to be doing the lore of each game, I want to do a separate thing where I kind of do a deep dive of each game for the most part and kind of give my overall experiences and thoughts on things from like each world or at least favorite worlds. Um, just a bunch of things that you don't really get to fully experience from me doing the lore of each episode, or each game, I should say. And from what I can't do in the playthroughs that I've done on my, on my gaming channel, Ready, Set, Win. I've completed Kingdom Hearts 3 on my gaming channel, but I didn't get a chance to complete Kingdom Hearts 1 or 2 or any, or any of the other possible games yet because my recording equipment is severely outdated and i'm not really able to do much at the moment but in the meantime i figured this would be pretty cool because this is mainly inspired by um two podcasts uh mainly is reignite which is a mass effect podcast which i'm doing a somewhat deep dive of that with uh one of my buddies who is a, also a host of another podcast i'm on uh, that we're going to launch soon, which is called Popcast. I'm looking forward to that, by the way. And this is mainly inspired by the Ansem Reports, the hilarious podcast that I've been listening to that's been going pretty deep into uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 at the moment because that's when um, they just so happen to start the podcast, at least what I've, from what I've been seeing on Spotify. That's where I listen to it on. That's what I listen to it on and or actually what where that's where i listened to it yeah that sounds about right <laughs> and it's been a fun ride listening to them and i thought you know what i gotta talk about this too because i have so many experiences that i want to talk about as well like for instance i'm gonna get to this at another at, an, at a point two when i actually address the game itself but i feel like five three eight over two days is kind of slept on like it's not the best game at all especially compared to the other portable games but It has some really good things going for it. Like, you got... What is it? About 18 characters you can play in it. Play in it. Like, all the organization members you can play is Donald, Goofy, Sora, Mickey, uh, Riku. (laughs) And, um... I think that's it. Them and all the organization members. No other game has done that. (laughs) It's so crazy. And they all feel different. I mean, it's limited because it's on the DS. But, dude, it was so legit. And... I remember when I first got the game my <laughs> it's funny because um one I forgot his name but one of the guys on the re on the not the reignite the uh, Anton reports playlist had the same issue they couldn't really progress far into the game because their one of their trigger buttons wasn't working I was able to fix mine because <laughs> I uh, kind of MacGyvered it where um I was able to fix mine because what you had to do for my issue was you wet a um cotton swabs there we go one of those cotton cotton swabs you wet it and you kind of like rub it along the edges of the button and the button would work for a good amount of time like at least like 10-15 minutes or maybe even up to an hour it kind of depended sometimes and you would just keep reapplying it and it worked so i was able to power through the game (laughs) but um Yeah, so stuff like that I want to to actually talk about and uh, see if you guys have any experiences like that as well. And before we actually get into the meat of Kingdom Hearts 1 here, uh, one last thing I wanted to address was um, something they talked about with Kingdom Hearts 3. I kind of want to talk about stuff they've also addressed too and give my thoughts on it as well. So, I mean, that's the whole purpose of a podcast, right, to just talk and have overall awesome discussions like this so they have their issues with uh zane not zane or uh Zemnis and ansom's ending uh farewells essentially at the end of kingdom hearts 3 and they have pretty reasonable dislikes going towards their farewells and i gotta say i, I kind of disagree about it though because one of their things one of their main things about the characters' farewells was that it seemed out of character, and I think it was more so geared towards Ansem, but there was a bit of uh, out of character they felt towards uh, Zemnis as well. Now, my disagreement, especially towards Zemnis, was you got a—you got about—you got a lot of that in Kingdom Hearts Two with Zimnis towards the end. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Why I'm going to disagree with it mainly is because with Zemnis, when you're fighting him and he's losing, you know, there's a point where he's back against the wall and he's like, I need more rage. I need more hate. You know, he he needs these things to empower him. And there's points in time where Sora is talking to him. And Sora, I forget exactly what he says, but it's along the lines of Sora saying, hey, Zemnis, don't you even remember what it's like to have these positive emotions, happiness, friendship, these things? And and Xemnas is like, unfortunately, I don't. You know, key word, unfortunately. And at the same time, I can kind of see it as him kind of playing, um, playing the fool to kind of catch them off guard. But I don't feel like that was what he was getting at. I feel like, I mean, the whole purpose of him was to gain a heart again to feel those emotions again and at points he does say how yeah this emotion's weak that emotion is weak and that's why at the same time it's also good being a nobody but at the same time he wants it and then you have the whole issue of them not being the real organization there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of tape everywhere but my in my head canon i kind of feel like zemnas in reality wanted to have those emotions again and would be able once he had those emotions again he would gear more so towards this side of them more so, more so towards anger and hate because that's how he feels he needs to be to be strong you know he's kind of going sith but um i feel that towards three he comes full circle because sora is like look at this you know this and this and this and then zimnas says wow i never i've never thought about it that way it must take extreme strength and power to be able to deal with that sort of thing because he doesn't remember so i feel like with Zemnis, it made a lot of sense and yeah i kind of get it it seemed a little mushy coming from him but it's not like he was shooting rainbows and skittles (laughs) at his uh at his mouth and ears you know he he came to a he came to an epiphany or is it Epiphany? Epiphany. Yeah, he came to an Epiphany. So I feel like that fit him. And same with Ansem. Um, you know, these two characters are dealing with an identity crisis. You know, they're they're half of one person, but they still have their own personality, which is kind of interesting. You know, Kingdom Hearts is really wild with that sort of thing. And with Ansem, someone who's been fighting to gain control of Riku for so long, you, you kind of... I look at it in a way where Ansem has been a part of Riku for so long. Riku has rubbed off on him as much as Ansem has rubbed off on Riku. And we see this kind of parallel throughout the games. And I do admit, over time, like, as much as Ansem has appeared throughout the games, I feel like they should have foreshadowed this a bit more instead of having Ansem be more, like, pure evil, pure evil, pure evil, and then, you know... Riku, you're not so bad. I, lo- I love you, man. <laughs> nah, no, no, he didn't really say that, but... <laughs> I actually was cool with these scenes. I didn't really have any major issues, but I do feel with Ansom, they should have foreshadowed it at least a little bit. It, you know, at the minimum, in DDD, they should have foreshadowed it at least a little bit, but I get it. You know, some things may not have been written until then, et cetera, et cetera, and Nomura did have other endings in plan, but he went with the most... He, made, he went with the one that made everyone most happy. So I can't knock him for that. That was, that was a safe, cool idea. So it's something that I, I feel that fit Ansem still because it's not like he was getting super mushy. He's not like he was saying, you know, Riku, you're not so bad. You know, you're, I love you, man. He wasn't saying anything like that. He was commending Riku for being so powerful. And after all this time, you know, Ansem had a hold on him but it wasn't complete riku was always able to fight back and you know how can you not admire the strength riku had to overpower darkness something that ansem embodied you know he was always saying darkness conquers all worlds you know the heart begins in darkness he has a fetish for darkness and seeing how riku was able to be stronger than it dude it it made a lot of sense and At that point, he's kind of like, I, okay, I accept my defeat. I have, I have at least that amount of honor. And I feel like with Riku saying, you know what, I, I, it's crazy, but I I think I'm going to miss you because look at what Ansem did for Riku. Ansem, because of Ansem, Riku got much stronger than what he would have been normally. Riku had this kind of thing where what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Riku always had this fight with the darkness for so long to the point now where he walks the the way to dawn he walks the twilight path light and dark so now he wouldn't have had that if not for Ansem he would have been he probably would have been more so like Sora and I mean I honestly I don't know I think he still would have probably been well actually no I shouldn't say that because Maleficent it's, yeah scratch that part he's he still would have been you know fighting light and dark because of what maleficent did with him but even though ansem still didn't manipulate her too but in the long run i forgot about the whole maleficent thing so scratch that i think he still would have been down the way to dawn the the twilight path but i don't think he would have been as strong if not fighting off ansem for so long and I think that's why he said he's gonna. It's strange, but I think I'm gonna miss you because he feels so connected to Ansem, and he kind of admires the fact that, you know, you kind of made me who I am. So, yeah, I, I'm kind. I'm kind of gonna miss you, <laughs> and it, it's kind of like a love hate thing. So honestly, that's why I felt like yeah, that's it's it's crazy, but I it, I kind of dig it. I dig it, and it made sense to me, and that's why I feel that at the end of the day. Even with Sora, like it's Sora. How can Sora not feel bad about someone dying? I mean, look, it, 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 dude, it's Sora. He's he's the protagonist. He has such a he has such a, a a powerful and like innocent heart. I mean, dude, you just can't knock him for that. And even with like I already explained why Riku felt that way and I feel with Ansem saying, you know, carpe diem, essentially, there's more to seek, boy. So go on, go forth and seek it. Like, dude, I love I love that so much because for so long, he's been known as the Seeker of Darkest. And the fact that he was like, go forth and seek what's left to be sought, sought after. I just, I love that kind of thing they gave him to say. Like, I feel like that was a wink, nudge, nudge because of his title as well. And it's just dope. Like... I felt like that was the perfect way for Ansom to go out. Like, even if we only saw Ansem, even if the last time we saw Ansem was in Kingdom Hearts One, that's fine. He still went out like a boss. You know, typical bad guy fashion. You know, he was still surprised. He was someone who was he was sure that darkness was everything. And then he's like, in Kingdom Hearts One, he goes he gets destroyed by the by the door to light. He's like, "What? But why? It's really light. Are you kidding me? All this time, I thought it was darkness. I thought, you know, that's still cool. But then him coming from uh, Channel Memories to DDD, and now to three. It's like, wow, this guy. I'm almost, I'm honestly sad that he's gone after all this time, especially having this hum- human thing stick out to him, and he felt betrayed. You know, he. I think that's the last part I'm going to talk about because we've been running a little long on this one topic alone. But um, the last thing I want to talk about with that is he felt that he was honestly, he was portrayed. You know, he, he joined the cause of the organization and people were being, you know, people were not true to the cause. So he felt that why even bother anymore? Why even bother really truly doing what I want? and defying his fate because that was a major thing they were talking about too i feel like him defying his fate was mainly fighting to not die to still fight to live on but at this point he was like you know what i know i'm gonna be defeated because we're not at our full complete strength anymore so i'm just gonna fight just to go out fighting i think that's what he felt i think that's what he meant by defy his fate now honestly This is going to be a little controversial, but honestly, I think I would have jumped out of my seat and would have been floored if Ansem joined sides with Riku, Sora, and them. Like, I honestly would have loved seeing that because, dude, (laughs) like, I, I mean, they would have had to explain it. And I think I know for a fact it would have made a lot of people mad. And but they I think definitely that would have been really dope to see. If they did that, because you got to think about it too. Zaynor, at heart, isn't really a bad guy. He's one of the types to do stuff just to make sure that he is—he's doing something that he feels is right. That's the—that's a true villain. He think—he thinks he's the good guy for A, B, C, and D, but he's not going about it the right way. And who is Ansem and Zemnis? They are half of who Zaynor is and Terra, because. Xehanort and or Xemnas and Ansem are half or two halves of those two people so of course Ansem and Zemnis are going to have both of Zanort and Terra in them so I feel that even though they're you know even though they're a heartless and a nobody they lack these typical emotions that these types of creatures would have they still have pieces of that to a degree because look at how instances of things like that with axel how he was as a nobody how um roxas was even though he technically had a heart and nominate too but i think there's a lot of reasons why i think that would have been really cool but i am still fine with how ansem went out i think the dialogue he said makes a lot of sense thinking about it that way um but like i said i'm gonna close it with should have should it have been foreshadowed yes and Even with Xemnas, I think his was foreshadowed enough. We got enough of it in Kingdom Hearts 2 for it to happen now. And yeah, I think that was good. And honestly, I would have preferred it if Ansem joined Sides. (laughs) Just because I love Ansem a lot. Especially Billy Zane's Ansem. I love the fact that they have Billy Zane's quotes throughout the episodes. Billy Zane to me is the... He is... He's the Sean Schimmel of... Of uh, <laughs> of Kingdom Hearts Like he is the only person I see as Ansem Just as Sean Schimmel is the only person I can see as Goku And don't get me wrong the guy who's doing Ansem Now great but Billy Zane Man I'm so mad They didn't bring Billy Zane back I'm, I'm To this day I'm pissed about that But either way I'll leave it at that I'll, I'll probably address it again at a future Point but that's what I that's how I feel about it And without further ado Let's jump into Kingdom Hearts 1. Let's start from the beginning and share how this game defined a generation and changed the hearts of so many, including mine. All right. So with this game, especially Kingdom Hearts 1 left a bundle of great memories from playing the game from beginning to end with my father to going to this school and asking people who played the game as well hey I'm kind of stuck on this part how did you get past this or where'd you get that keyblade from and what that's the thing you know just talking about different experiences with the game figuring out the secrets and stuff because back then I kind of I miss the fact when Whenever you looked up walkthroughs, you would open up like a document on uh, like a, a web page document on like Game Facts or other websites back then. I think it was mainly Game Facts I went to. And they would have the walkthrough that, you know, with a new game, it would take a little bit for it to come out. But whenever you would open it up, you'd scroll down, you'd see all the credits, and then you'd see like <laughs> one of those text pictures. That would be in the shape of something that is relevant to the game like with kingdom hearts i think they either did a heart or they did the keyblade or something it was really impressive like kudos to the people who did that stuff back in the day and i know some people still do it now but i know nowadays most people prefer watching the videos which makes sense i mean i'm usually the type to do that too now especially since it's a lot quicker you don't really have to often find out which place you had to go but usually walkthroughs were really descriptive they were super super in-depth and you know sometimes you didn't even have to buy the strategy guide even though a lot of times i wanted to just for (laughs) just for collector's sake and um uh for instance i wanted to do that with the pokemon uh shield game but man those strategy guys are pricey i think that one was like 40 bucks but it was a really in-depth one so i can't knock them for that but anyway you know, these memories are something I'll always carry with me because of that alone. That that experience where I got to share it with my father and a bunch of friends that I made at school because they were Kitty uh fans as well. And that was one of the best experiences my dad and i he usually watched the game like he would play we we played a lot of games together but he usually watched it and whenever he played it by himself i remember a couple of times i would come home from school and he's like hey i got you like five levels up or hey i found this keyblade i found this secret keyblade over here you know he would do stuff that wouldn't progress the story or at least he would try not to progress the story and if he did he's like hey sorry uh this is what happened so um for the most part we would play it together so we could experience the meat of the game together and it was pretty fun and i know at some points like with monstro he <laughs> he would look up um at one point we got lost We're like, why can't we figure this out so he printed a walkthrough for us one day and we just used that to progress to that through that. I think that was that and Hollow Bastion. Those were the two levels where we needed the um the walkthrough. I think for Agrabah, we almost did, but we didn't. I know Monstro and Hollow Bastion were the were the biggest ones. Um and we we it was just a, such a fun experience for for me and him. And unfortunately he passed before we got to experience Chain of Memories and Kingdom Hearts too, but I'm glad that I have that with him. And you know, to this day, every time I pick up a Kingdom Hearts game, I think of him and I think of the memories that we could have together playing these games. And I think of things he would say or, you know, the joy he would have playing these games with me again. And I think forever that's something I'm going to always have. And this kind of boosted nostalgia I'm gonna forever have with each game because of the fun we had together. So that's definitely a shout out and dedication uh, to my father for there too. Um, I think I did that. <laughs> I think I did that in a previous episode too. But regardless, he deserves it. <laughs> um, so I said this in my previous episode too, how my first experience with Kingdom Hearts was uh, reading. It, reading up on it in a game informer magazine seeing the collaboration of disney and square and thinking whoa this is awesome i get to play as like mickey and you know beat up the disney villains yes please <laughs> give me my money i mean shut up and give me shut up and take my money there we go <laughs> so that was my experience with it and then i i was i bought it shortly after it came out but It it was at least a couple weeks went by before I actually picked it up. I remember going over a friend's house, and he was showing me, like, the Sephiroth boss fight. And, yeah, I was thinking, okay, that's intimidating, but I still want to get the game. (laughs) And we start off the game with this awesome, this awesome sequence. And this is how I'm going to actually, I kind of started off this episode a little rough (laughs) with the introductory so how i'm gonna do these retrospective episodes is i'm gonna i'm gonna pretty much take it step by step i'm kind of i'm gonna just go through the plot um what you experienced with the game and just give my overall thoughts and whatnot of how i overall experienced this game so well i guess technically we start off with the opening menu screen, the beautiful, dearly beloved music, still a staple to this day. Such a great, such a great game. <laughs> and the opening lovely sequence. Um, and then we go to the opening, you know, where I've been having these weird thoughts lately. Like, is, anything, is any of this for real or not? And a statement that has now been reprised in Kingdom Hearts 3 in the the Remind DLC and it's something that I've actually used in a song I'm writing for my own audiobook and you know something that's inspired me it's such a great quote opening line and then you have the whole opening sequence where it's like a bunch of metaphors just slapping you in the face (laughs) a bunch of metaphors and symbolisms and you know watching it way back when when I was like I don't know, 7 or 8, it was 2002, I think, or 2001, so, I'm twenty seven 27 now, 28 this year, so yeah, I was about 8 or, I was 7 or 8 or 9 maybe, um, just kind of giving a buffer, because I don't, I don't remember if it was 2001 or 2, and I'm 28 this year, so yeah, um, so back then, I'm, I'm just watching this awesome CG sequence like, whoa, look at the graphics. Is this how the whole game's going to look? <laughs> and then I'm, then you get to the PS2 graphics, and i are like, oh, whoa. I mean, it still looks nice. Um, so way back then, I'm just, I'm just admiring this awesome sequence. And then years later, I figure, oh, okay, so the ocean, you know, was supposed to be darkness, and Sora falling throughout the whole thing was him being separated from his friends from the darkness and all that and all this um deep stuff that i didn't realize until much later and now i have a deeper thing for that and the dude the theme song simple and clean oh my goodness now some people were talking about how face my fears and um don't think twice there we go face my fears and don't think twice do they hold up yes are they as good I can't really compare them. I don't want to compare them because they're on different levels. You know, they're on they're in different feet. The- they're on they're just in. They, you just can't compare them. I'll leave it at that. Sanctuary, simple and clean, passion. You know, the, the English and Japanese versions of all these songs. They're on different levels on their own right. You know, they're they just can't be compared because they're just all so awesome. Simple and clean has its own crazy catchy nostalgic feeling to it but face my fears has this new kind of edgy yet hype feeling to it kind of like how sanctuary does but they get you hype on a whole nother level than the other does and vice versa so i can't really compare them because they're all they're their own different thing and then we start off with the Intro, we start off with the actual introductory of the game where we have this disembodied voice talking to you, which I believe was revealed to be Mickey. And that's awesome. But part of me is like, wait, why is Mickey talking to Sora? I know it was kind of, I don't know if that was actually revealed to be Sora or Mickey, but I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, by the way? Because it, it's cool to think that that's Mickey talking to Sora, but would he even know? At that point, how to, who to connect with? I don't think he would, even with birth, even with what happened to Birth by Sleep. But I guess, because he doesn't even have the Keyblade yet. And technically, it's Riku who had the Keyblade, or was going to get the Keyblade at that point. But maybe it was Vin's connection. Like, there's a lot of tape. <laughs> so it's hard. I'm just going to say, yeah, it's Mickey. But who knows why he's actually talking to him. For game reasons, that's it. Someone has to talk to him, right? So overall, it is a very interesting experience. You end up going through this kind of <laughs> freaky scenario where you're constantly just falling throughout the whole experience. You, If you're not drowning as Sora, you're falling as Sora. And it's like, when is this suffering going to end? You know, you got to feel sorry for Sora. Because it's like, this poor kid, what drug is he on right now? And, and um, we finally land on this beautiful stained glass of... I forgot what princess it is, but I think it's Cinderella? I want to say it's either Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. Um, Either way, I think it is Sleeping Beauty. I could be wrong, because it it was definitely princesses that are in the game, just as they were in their respective games. Usually the ones they show on those stained glasses are the ones you see, but either way, it was actually a very cool idea, and I wonder what made them think of this overall, because I always wondered, I know this is the dive in the heart scenario, but I always wondered what brought him to that particular stained glass. Was it just because, hey, that's a Disney character, throw it in there real quick, Disney, 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 Hey, you forgot, just in case you forgot, you're playing a Disney game. I don't know, but um I kind of thought that at first, that probably what, what it started off as, like they, they probably thought of the overall idea, and then they thought, okay, what can we put here design-wise? And they thought, well, seven princesses of heart. Let's put something relevant because soon he's going to be connected to them. It's kind of foreshadowing in a way. So I actually appreciated that a lot because only now do I just think Do I now think of it like, oh, wow, that was low-key foreshadowing. (laughs) So, it's a pretty interesting tutorial. It's not really too boring. It doesn't last too long. I think the overall tutorial is maybe like, if you do it uh, fast enough, it's maybe like 15 minutes, if even. You know, you kind of progress. And uh, like most Kingdom Hearts games up until DDD and... um, Three, when the areas were more open, these ga- these levels were more idiot proof. But I guess I shouldn't say idiot proof because idiot proof is <laughs> it's just a dumb term that that was I think that was dark side Phil. But essentially, I'm calling myself an idiot because I always check this. It's, it's it's like a fun idiot. But um, <laughs> so whenever you try to go off a cliff or something and you die it's like oh okay this game isn't idiot proof but instead if there's like an invisible wall then it's like oh okay this game's idiot proof so um honestly though uh, sorry, you can't really die from heights at all like something in his shoe like as big as his shoes are i i'm not surprised like i'm so, kind of surprised he doesn't use his own shoes in combat how big those things are but <laughs> i came to basically think yeah those shoes are just yeah They're their own thing. They are just indestructible. And I do like, I do love the design that Disney or Tetsuya gave Sora, Riku, and Kairi based, you know, kind of mixing them between Final Fantasy and Disney. And actually, before I progress, I do want to say how I kind of wish Tetsuya Nomura went with Sora's original design. Where. You know, give him the keyblade still. I mean, I like that chainblade thing they had going on, but I do prefer the keyblade for sure. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Google Sora original concept or Sora lion concept. And you'll see him where he has like a tail. He has lion claws. He has a bit of fur, actually. He has a crown and stuff. And I think if they gave him that design, but like did more of a mashup between the clothes and what he had in one, Dude, that would have been awesome, because then you have these cool new abilities that Sora could have had. You know, he could have gone between slashing with his keyblade and slashing with his claws. I thought that would have been really cool. But, ah, eh, well, I mean, we kind of got that in uh, Lion King World and Kingdom Hearts too. but either way. So, progressing through this area, we have all these different stained glass, these different cathedrals, at different, or different, uh, not cathedrals, um, well, I can't remember what they're technically called, but I'm just going to call them large columns for now and hopefully I wasn't I think I was in cathedral this whole time but yeah these these huge columns that have the stained glass on them and I thought it was really awesome how they handled it you know visually it was very mysterious very interesting because you wanted to know where was this kid at what was he what's he going through right now and who's this person talking to him and then you face against the very first heartless in the game and I love this guy. I I love that he's been kind of a staple throughout the majority of the games, if not all of them. I think he I think the only game he didn't appear in was Birth by Sleep, and he didn't also appear in Kingdom Hearts 2. I think those are the only games Darkseid didn't appear in. But I do like I mean, even though he's not he's he hasn't really changed over the years, he's always been kind of easy excluding a few certain um moments in the games i do love the it's one of my favorite heartless designs and i am really glad they they keep this guy coming so pause uh and overall when you get to that point and sora kind of realizes something's off here and he's the greater the voice says the greater you get to the light the the closer you get to the light, the greater your shadow becomes. And so it kind of turns around like, whoa, what's going on? How's my shadow growing? And from this shadow forms this massive creature, the, the dark side creature. And when I'm playing it, I thought, This is amazing. What am I fighting right now? So I I'm pretty sure that was foreshadowing too, but that experience was really fun. We cut to the beach. And the whole interaction with Sordon Sorodonal Sora Donald movie. Sora Kyrie and Riku was really awesome. This was actually my first experience with um Hayden Paneteri? Panatere something like that? Pat Patener, I don't know. Um Hailey Joe Osmond and Oh uh, shoot, David Gallagher? Uh, I'm gonna kick myself if that's not the right name, because Riku is my favorite character, and if I messed up his voice after his name, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mad at. her. Oh crap! Wait, wait! I gotta look at this up real quick. Let me let me look this up. Oh, it is David Gallagher. Okay, actually, what, is, what does this dude look like now? It's been, what does this dude look like? David Gallagher appearance. I'm actually very curious because I, ha- I know what Hay I know what Haley Jowman looks like now. He's aged pretty cool. Um. And then Hayden, unfortunately no longer the voice actor for Kyrie, but she's been looking good in recent years. And that's what David Gallagher looks like as of 20, 2007. Seriously? There's like no recent picture of him that I'm finding. Oh wait, the, came, the characters and voice actors Kingdom Hearts 3 video. Okay. okay, that's fine. Actually, is this IMDB? Let me see. Loading, loading, loading. Okay, You know what? If you gave him the Riku hairstyle, he probably actually would look like an older Riku. Alright, but anyway. So, I really did like the dynamics they had here. They gave Sora, Don, they really... I keep saying Sora, Donald, and Goofy. We're not there yet. <laughs> um, they really established a really nice dynamic between the three. You get a feeling early on how these characters are. You can tell they're close. You can tell they're friends. But at the very beginning, you can already tell that Sora has this interest in Kyrie. But I kind of feel that dialogue was a little random. Like, out of nowhere, he wakes up, you know, from fighting Darkseid. He got, he defeated Darkseid, but then he gets smothered in darkness and wakes up like, oh, was that a dream? And then Kyrie comes up and they're talking. Out of nowhere, he's like, hey, remember your hometown? What was it like when you grew up there? You know, he's like, well, where did that come from? <laughs> But um, I'm surprised he didn't, like, talk to her about his dream. It was kind of weird, but it was low-key kind of just foreshadowing. But I felt it didn't really fit. Like, every, every time I hear it, even to this day, I'm like, that's a random line. <laughs> but I guess he just wanted to change the subject to get off the whole, you know, uh, idea of being killed by this crazy darkness. But either way. And then you see the rival attitude between Sora and Riku and I always love that dynamic and uh, it's always kind of funny like in especially in anime you always see these characters who are rivals and for some reason they always kind of look the same like the protagonist is always happy-go-lucky and then the rival is usually he usually has an attitude problem where he's a little darker. I always wonder, like, why? I always thought, what if they switched the roles for once? I, I don't know. I mean, most anime and stuff that I've seen, they usually have that dynamic, and it's like it's kind of been, kind of getting boring after a while. But anyway, uh, at this point, you finally see the Kingdom Hearts logo, and it's just so great. And I do like that over time, as the re-releases have come, they've changed it up. Like Kingdom Hearts, then it came into Kingdom Hearts Final Mix, and that was something really cool. Um, the whole Destiny Islands thing was actually very interesting. I really did enjoy running around the area, uh, talking to the Final Fantasy characters, characters that I've never actually had interactions with outside of this game. I've I've known of them in Final Fantasy. Like I knew those were the characters when I was talking to them. But yeah, and getting to fight them all was actually kind of cool. I liked how they were all different. How Titus had the sword, Walker. <laughs> Walker was just throwing volleyballs at you. Like, I gotta admit, that's a really odd. I mean, I get it. It's like a, it's like a reference to Blitzball. At least I think that's what it was called. I might be wrong. But man, can you, you guys, if you know what I'm talking about, you've you've seen how hard he's throwing these balls at you. And pause. But like, volleyballs are no joke. Like, if you hit, if you spike, like, if, especially if you spike one of those bad boys and it hits you in the face ow and this dude isn't like occasionally he'll throw it with one hand but sometimes he'll jump up in the air like five ten feet in the air and he'll just launch it right in your face and i'm just thinking what kind of dude fights with volleyball it's funny though i, I like i liked it though i like the originality and then you got uh oh, what's her name it's titus waka and oh i forgot her name it's not yuffie that's the ninja who was with Leon, um, but she's from Final Fantasy ten, nine, 9 or 10 if I remember correctly. Ah, oh, sorry, I'm not a huge, I'm not really into Final Fantasy as much as I want to be. I'm I'm just now getting into Final Fantasy 7. I got the original one on my Switch, so I'm really early on in that game, so I'm really behind on my Final Fantasy lore, so I apologize for not remembering her name. But her fighting with the jump rope, it was just great. But being able to fight them and you get a chance to fight all three of them together afterwards, man, if you don't level up, especially if you play on the hardest difficulty, whoa, they will whoop you. Um, it, it, like sometimes I had a, I had issues, and then once I level up, you know, fighting Riku from time to time and time, then boom, bulldoze them. I actually had the habit of fighting with Riku as I level up until I was about, what was it, level 10, I think it was, because I think by the time you get through the tutorial, I think you level up at least two or three times, you're like level, and then when you go through the trio, I am usually like level 5 by then, so I go up and fight Riku until I get to level 10, and by then I got like a buttload of potions and stuff. So I remember doing that a ton of times whenever I'd restart the game, not knowing that hey, maybe you should just save at this point and have that extra save point so you don't have to do this crazy grinding anymore. But it's kind of like how I did with Pokemon. I would ever soon ever, as soon as I get my starter Pokemon, I level it up until it's like level ten, and then I progress into the next town or whatever. But yeah, or at least like at least to like seven or eight, and then I progress. So it's kind of just typical things that you kind of do in RPGs just we start off grind for like a couple levels then you're good (laughs) Um, but I did like this whole I think Destiny Islands this whole introduction was really nice because even though the three characters weren't really uh, prominent or really relevant to the story it was nice to kind of give this world more atmosphere because unfortunately with a lot of the Kingdom Hearts series a lot of the worlds feel empty but there are characters from time to time you'll run into that make that give the world some life. So having them there was nice, and it was a good way to introduce more Final Fantasy Final Fantasy characters casually into the game. And the fact that Destiny Islands, the way it looks, the music, everything about it was really cool. And I, I liked how you got to actually gather stuff for the the raft that Sora done. Darn- there I go again. I'm gonna be saying that a lot every time I want to reference Sora, Kairi, and uh, Riku. And It was actually interesting hearing the kind of chip on the shoulder that Riku had towards Sora. Like, in most of the cutscenes, he seemed like, Hey, what's up, man? Let's let's go. Let's do this stuff. Let's get some business going. And in the cutscene, like when you're talking to him to do random stuff, he kind of seems like he's kind of standoffish to you for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's it's just because of how the text is reading to me or what. But let me know if you guys felt that way, too. And then we go from the cutscenes to um how Sora, Kyrie, and Rika almost said Donald Goofy again, how they want to leave and go off to other worlds. And you have this nice grasp of who these characters are, how they just wanna explore, they want to see what's out there, something natural. It it felt the scenes that they were in felt so real. And it's something that I've always felt. So I was actually really able to relate to these characters. Wanting to just go out there and see the worlds. Explore and stuff like that. And then we finally get. Our. Touch on Disney. We go to Disney Castle. We, we see Donald. Greeting. Saying his good tidings. Or at least trying to. Not realizing that Mickey isn't at the throne room. Where he should be I guess at that time in the morning. We see Pluto. Sticks his head out with that classic Mickey emblem on the letter, Donald freaks out and just runs out the room in classic goofy (laughs) and classic freaking out style that Donald is known for, his goofy freaking out. And that's what I admire, too, about how they handled Donald Goofy with the series. I feel sometimes they are slept on, but I feel that this was handled exceptionally well. And overall, despite it not being... Um, actually, let me remind, I'll get to that point in a minute where I, not in a minute, but eventually I'll get to a point where I'll mention here and there, like, how I felt they were slept on at times, but here it was really good, you got to see, you kind of, you don't know what Mickey wrote just yet, but you can tell it's something crazy, like, Donald freaks out pretty easily, but the way he freaked out and went to Goofy, yeah, so I do like how they made this, too, the the choices they made, they made Donald the mage. they made goofy the king of the guard but they gave him some weird armor <laughs> but it fits i mean it's goofy um and it's just kind of funny how the the way they they're back and forths i really like how they were able to truly handle and write the characters really well that made them feel like they're characters i i generally feel like donna and goofy are they are in these games. I never felt that they were out of characters, per se, at any point, or at least for the most point. And we also get a chance to see a little bit of Mickey and Daisy. They play a very small role in in the games, which is kind of a bummer. I would love to see more of Minnie and Daisy, but I mean, someone has to man the castle, right? So... They gotta still rule. They, they, you know, Minnie has a kingdom to rule. She is queen, so while Mickey's doing his thing, protecting the other worlds, Minnie has to hold the uh, castle down at least and the kingdom. So, pretty good responsibilities, though. Um, I don't know what Daisy does. Uh, like, what what role is she exactly? Is she just like an advisor towards Minnie? I don't know. It's, but I kind of would like to see more stuff involving them in the future. Like, I would like to see. Like, you can tell, like, Minnie has magic. She is powerful, but unfortunately, she, you know, she's not really a fighter. But I would kind of like to see, like, her do stuff like that. Unfortunately, she's kind of on the sidelines. She's the type of character who can fight, but only if she, only if need be, and she's not really... She'll get overwhelmed easily, unfortunately, as we kind of saw in Kingdom Hearts 2. But anyway... And it's kind of a bummer. We never got Destiny, we never got, uh, Disney Castle in Kingdom Hearts 1 for some reason, even though originally it was meant to be there. Or maybe it was a, maybe it was a hack I saw. I don't know. I remember there being some kind of, uh, maybe it was a hack or maybe it was supposed to be in the game, but they cut it last minute. I don't remember, but I remember seeing screenshots of Sora running through Disney Castle, but I mean, I don't know. I always thought it'd be kind of cool just to go back to that world. Um, Well, I think it would have had awesome, deeper meaning if we went back in 2 from visiting it the first time in 1, but either way. So, I do like the scenes that play out after this too, as we go back to Sora and Kairi especially. You know, they all talk together, they say how, Riku especially mentions how important it is for him to see what's out there he, he wants to do it and he's happy that he has other people with him but honestly you know if as we see later if he can go by himself he will and honestly he does um but i don't actually well he, he wasn't really necessarily trying to it ended up just happening that way but i think if he had the chance um probably yeah so <clears throat> i do like the idea of what sora and kairi had where you see this relationship building between the two, but you also have a hint that Riku kinda has a thing for him, for for him, for Kairi too. But he keeps it on the low because he realizes that Sora likes her a lot. But he's kind of just like, yeah, I kind of do too, but I don't know. It's it's like a classic sort of like love triangle, but you know, at the, at the same time, he's like, well, she's still my friend. You're my friend too. So he's kind of just like, hey, Sora, if you mess up. I'm in there, you know, I think that's what was his mind frame like that whole scenario, but who knows and I do like the scene where Sora and Kyrie they're sitting on the docks, and the sun, the sun is setting, and part of me was like Kyrie, were you really wanting to leave Riku? Like Sora, let's just take the raft, just the two of us and I'm like, wait a minute wait a minute, like the way she said that I think well actually you know what I think she was just baiting Sora she was kind of baiting him to see like what he would say to see if he if she could like get something out of him to see how he felt about her I think that's what she was trying to do but I, when I first heard that I'm like dang you gonna leave your friend like that when he's the one who wants to leave the most like that's, <laughs> that's mad shady and I like that even though she feels Riku has changed She's like Sora, don't change because I like you how you are. And it's and that awesome scene when you see the two of them backs towards the camera, but they're looking at the sunset. Dude, I would hang up that picture in a heartbeat. I need to find. I I, I want to either draw it myself. Actually, I probably will draw it eventually, and I want to like just hang it up because that's such a great scene. Um. And. Now we finally get to the point where things are about to get crazy. So we've been talking for quite a while, like the last 20 minutes or the first 20 minutes were actually about three by itself mainly, but I hope you enjoyed kind of this messy, unscripted um version of my overall thoughts and feelings of Kingdom Hearts. Kind of a breakdown, a deep dive of scene-to-scene gameplay, and overall. So yeah, um, I think I'm going to keep these at maybe 30 minutes to an hour each episode and go from there. We've kind of cleared Destiny Islands for the most part. Um, I didn't feel there was a need to really go super, super deep into each cutscene, just kind of addressing like where, how we're progressing throughout each, um, thing. So we don't kind of lose where we're going and kind of just establishing what I liked about it and going from there. So I hope you enjoyed and. Until next time, I'll see you in episode two. Then, at that point, we'll be talking about the destruction of Destiny Islands and what happens, bet- what happens to our trio and how this defining moment changed them forever.